Wow. Well, um, that those pictures, like, just be careful in uh, the social media age with how many pictures you allow yourself to take. Because some of y'all, you're, you're like that first age group that came through middle school with social media. And like your worst fear in the world would be that somebody clicks your profile picture on Facebook and hits backspace. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like the oldest one on there is like, this is awful. Um, so that was, that was an, interesting, an interesting moment just to look at those uh, pictures. I'm so glad and grateful to be in front of you right now. My name is Miles, and I am from Auburn, Alabama. Now I am, and uh, any any Auburn fans at all in the, in the place right now? War Eagle, yes, yes, a little bit. But I'm kind of an Auburn poser. Like I have to like Auburn because I live there, and I specifically I fit in well there because I can't stand the school that your pastor went to. I can't stand UGA. Just can't can't be around it. Loved seeing what Tennessee did to them and loved even more that they lost to Vanderbilt. That was just like pleasure to my soul. But here's the thing, though. I did not go to Auburn University. I graduated with flying colors in 2011 from Kennesaw State University. Hootie hoo, somebody. You know what's funny? And Auburn's improving a little bit, but I like to tell people this. I love that Kennesaw State has a better football team than Auburn and UGA. It's great. Um, So I know what it's like to be where you are. I had those long days in the social sciences building that uh, I spent years of my life in. Speaking of which, is the West Deck still incredibly small? Like you're never going to get a spot in the West Deck? Yeah. How awful is that? in management by KSU. Like you would think with all the stuff that they're building, why can't the West Deck be as big as the Central Deck? And the Central Deck is absolutely ginormous in the middle of nothing. Like there's nothing out there and they already got the East Deck over there. So everybody who's an education major is thrilled about the Central Deck and the East Deck, but everybody else who's getting their education somewhere else is over there trying to park in the church lot. You know what I'm talking about? Down there by the West Deck and you're making that long walk up and you're like, Kennesaw, what were you thinking when you built this huge commuter school? And, uh, but anyway, I just have some bent up frustration toward my college years, clearly. So uh, I know, I, I know what it's like to be where you are. My wife went to Kennesaw State as well. Her name is Courtney, and she is pregnant with a baby girl. And we are, yeah, come on. We're expecting a girl in uh, the middle of January. And so I, I feel like I have a lot of common ground in the season of life you're in because I went to the school you went to. I had some of the same experiences, some of the same professors that you had. I'm sure some of us, any communication majors in the room, any comm majors? Yes, Unite. Um, I really do want to talk to y'all later about some of your professors and talk about if they should be working at the university. But um, that, that is beside the point. I got a little bit of time and a lot that I want to share with you. And I feel like I'm in a position of life where I can honestly look at you and say, you want to step into the fullness of the call of God for your life. You do not want to shrink back from the greatness that God has for you in your life and from the love of Jesus that opens every single door to the life you really want. And I can confidently say that because I've been where you've been, sat where you've sat, gone where you've gone, and I have a life that is not perfect, but it is a life that I look at and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is the life Jesus died for me to live. I'm, I'm, there's nothing like that. 
living in the center of a life where you go, this is what Jesus had in mind when he put his life on the line to bring me back from hell and sin. And I want you to get there. And to get there, we've got to go to some tough places tonight. So go with me on this. I want to talk about where you stand with Jesus. Where do you stand in your relationship with God? This is an important question for you to consider if you're not a Christian. And if you're not a Christian and you're at the living room, listen, you don't have to believe to belong here. We want you to feel like you have a home here, like you have a place here. So come be a part of this as long as you want to. And if you're not a Christian, I would submit to you where you stand with Jesus is an incredibly important question for you to consider. Just based on the fact that a guy who did nothing that significant in his earthly life, other than rise from the dead, we'll talk about that in a second, but uh, he kind of just didn't do that much that was that impressive, and he redefined time in and of itself. We're in the year 2016 because of his life, and what did he do from a historical perspective that was that special? He didn't lead some large rebellion. He didn't see some huge movement happen during his time on planet Earth. In fact, he died way too soon at the hands of his enemies and yet he redefined the picture of humanity and the picture of time itself on earth. So if you're not a Christian, I wanna ask you, where do you stand with Jesus? And if you are a Christian, someone who calls yourself a follower of Jesus, where do you stand right now? How's that relationship with him actually going? It's important to know where you stand in a relationship uh, there's probably nothing more frustrating than being in a relationship with somebody where you don't know where you stand. Have you ever had a boss where you were like, when I show up at work, I have no idea whether or not I'm going to be standing in a good place or not. Like, did he take his medicine? Like what? I don't, and I had bosses like that where it was like, I don't know. I don't really know where I stand with you. Or if you're in like a friendship where you guys like were close, but then you got in a big fight. This happened to me and Samer many times. And then it was like, well, have we made up? Like, is it good? Like we didn't really talk about that tension that was there at that thing. Thing, but then we're at the same public place and is where do we stand? Like, are we good? For some of you, this is, might be happening tonight and I'm making this experience really awkward for you. That's one of my like guilty pleasures in life. I love making people feel awkward. Like if you come up to me after the service and tell me that you're single, I'll probably introduce you to someone. That, and I love being in Auburn and being the pastor of a church because I'm like matchmaker. I'm like, you, you need to meet her. Oh, you guys never met. This will be incredibly awkward. You, single, you, no ring on your finger. Talk. Um, this will be great. So that means you probably don't want to meet me. But um, you need to know where you stand in friendships and with your bosses. But you also really need to know where you stand in romantic relationships. And for those of us in the room who have been hurt before, you know that there is no more painful place on earth than being in a position where you don't know where you stand with somebody who you really, really like. This is called, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, this is called the friend zone, okay? Anybody ever been in the friend zone? You don't want to be there. Yeah, this guy raised his hand. That's awesome. Love that authenticity. That's great. Samer and I had a friend in high school who got stuck in the friend zone for years, and it literally took every ounce of energy on our part to tell this guy, listen, this girl is never going to pull you out of the friend zone. Like, he's like, I've seen it happen before. If you're believing it's going to happen for you, you're not going to be the first person to escape from this area. And so you need to define where you stand before you get to the point where you end up hurt. And that's exactly what happened to me when I was a sophomore in high school. I didn't just want to jump straight into the word of God and, and and, and drop, some, drop some bombs on you, I promise I will. But I wanted to tell some of you a little bit about myself. So when I was a sophomore in high school, I was obsessed with having a girlfriend. 
And I was that high schooler who was always in a serious relationship. And it was like, you can't even drive. Why are you trying to propose? And it was like, like, figure this out. What is your deal? And so I was a sophomore in high school. And it was around this time, like October, when homecoming is happening. You remember this? And when you don't have a boyfriend or girlfriend in high school and a dance is coming up, this puts you in this tension of who am I going to take to homecoming? And my freshman year, I had a girlfriend. And she was on homecoming court. And so I kind of made this internal vow with myself that every year of high school, I was going to go to homecoming with someone on homecoming court. And um, don't judge me. I didn't, I wasn't following Jesus. It's whatever. And, uh, and don't you judge me. I actually was, but, uh, but, but I, I, so there was this one girl in particular, some of y'all judgmental eyes. I went with a girl who was on homecoming court every year. And then my senior year, uh, I'd, I'd never gone with the queen. And so the girl who was supposed to win queen, she was like, hey, I know you like go with a girl in homecoming court every year. Everybody thinks I'm going to win queen. And she was like, well, you know, is that, are we going to go together? And I was like, if you win on Friday. And then, uh, and then she lost and she went with someone else. So you, you can follow that logic. But anyway, don't, don't judge me. They ended up getting married. And so I'll go back to sophomore year. I, I wanted, I'm like, okay, I gotta have a date and I don't have a girlfriend. And so I picked out this one girl. I promise this story has a point. I picked out this one girl where I was like, okay, we, I'm gonna ask this girl. She's the only girl on court who doesn't have a date. And then she says yes. And immediately all of the, um, Troy Bolton stuff is like rising up. This is the start of something new. High, high, high school musical came out when I was in high school and I was a basketball player. So I was like, it's my life. And I needed to find my G- Gabriella. And I thought Gabriella was this girl named Amanda. And uh, so don't, don't look her up. Don't go into my followers and like try to find Amanda because I don't want her knowing I'm still talking about her. But basically what happened is she said yes. And I thought this is gonna be like my new r- relationship that I'm gonna pour into. And and I never had a conversation about where she stood or why she said yes to me. But long story short, I got to my sophomore homecoming dance and uh, she and a guy who was a senior had basically planned that they were going to ditch their dates at the dance and be together. And so at my sophomore homecoming dance, literally within 10 minutes of getting there, the date who I thought was going to be my next girlfriend had ditched me for a senior and I can't drive. So I got to get my mom to come pick me up in her minivan and I don't have a cell phone. So I got to find a pay phone. I mean, it was like old days. And, uh, and, and, and I remember, I remember calling my mom in tears and this is like, I, I was talking to Samer about this today. He's like, why didn't you talk about that back then? I was like, because I was ashamed. Um, And uh, and so I went home and I'm like in tears talking to my mom. I'm listening to, you know, like Let It Burn by Usher. And and I'm talking to my mom about that's what you listened to back then. And I'm like, mom, this is where the point of the story comes in. I'm like, mom, I I can't believe she did that to me. And she was like, well, I can't. And I was like, mom, what, like, my heart is broken here. Like literally the, the, the flower on my jacket is still fresh. Like, why are you rubbing in the wound? And she was like, you need to learn from this, Miles. You need to learn that you always need to know where you stand. You always need to know where you stand. And I'm like, mom, this is, this is brutal. Like I thought we were the wildcats all in this together. And we are, I got to get away from that. But she told me, you got to know where you stand. And I want to say from the very beginning of this message, you need to know where you stand with Jesus. And I think I know where most of you stand in your relationship with God. I have been the Kennesaw State Christian College student in Metro Atlanta, Georgia, coming to Wednesday night college ministry 
looking for your future spouse, headed for your major and thinking about your future. And I just, you might not be in this place, but I feel like the majority of this room is in a very similar place spiritually. And it is a position where you stand is in between who you used to be and who you want to be. Where you were before you came to know Jesus, before you found out that there was a life of freedom and purpose and joy that could give you everything you ever wanted. But you're not fully seeing that come to be. There's you as you were and you as you wish you would be. But in between, there's just you as you are right now. So what I want to do with the few minutes I have that I didn't waste with that dumb story is tell you how to go from where you are to where you want to be. And the cool thing about where you are right now is that you are in a very similar position that the people of God were when they were in between slavery in Egypt and the possibility of freedom in the promised land of Canaan. If you don't know anything about the Old Testament of your Bible, it's actually it's so underrated and it's so cool to see the story of God come through our lives in some of these stories. And the people of God, Israel, were in captivity and slavery and oppression in Egypt for a long time. If you've ever seen Prince of Egypt, that was it, okay? And if you've ever, what's that new one with Christian Bale? He just, he didn't need to do that. He don't need to be Moses. He needs to just be Batman, okay? Let's not let Ben Affleck do that. But um, they were stuck in slavery in Egypt and God delivered them from all of this oppression. He separated seas. He did all these miracles for them. And they're headed into the promised land called Canaan. But there's this moment in the book of Deuteronomy in your Bible where they're in what's called the in-between. They're in between what was, which wasn't so good, and what could be, which looks amazing. And they're standing in a position where all they have to do is take a step to take the life Jesus died for them to live. And I wanna show you how. If you have your Bible, we're in Deuteronomy chapter one. If you don't, we're gonna have it on the screen. And judging from no one reacting to me saying, if you have your Bible, uh, you are relying on the screen, which is great, it's fine. It's Wednesday night, like, I, you know, it's, it's tough to remember. If you have your Bible, hold it up. I just want, Samer, I want you to see this because hold it up high, be proud, man. All right, look at the person next to you and say, I'm bringing my Bible next week. I'm bringing my Bible next week. Hey, look at the person, we, we gotta break down this barrier. Look at the person next to you and say, you look so good tonight. You look so good tonight. Come on, y'all. We gotta have conversations here. Look at the person you just ignored and say, you're pretty cool too. You're pretty cool too. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter one, verse eight. This is when the people of God are in between slavery in Egypt and the possibility of the promised land. I wanna show you what God says to the people. Deuteronomy chapter one, verse eight. God says, see, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to their descendants after them. So God says, I've delivered you from what was and I'm giving you this amazing life of freedom and purpose and the fullness of what you were created for, but I need you to take it. I've given it to you, but I need you to take it. And actually, Moses repeats what God says a few verses later in verse 21. He says, see, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 
says, God has given you all of this land. He's given you this future. He's given you this unlimited possibility. But guess what it is going to require? It is going to require you taking it. You have to take it. The space between where you are and where you want to be is called give and take. And if you're like, I need to know the title of this sermon, it's give and take. That is what it is called, give and take. What am I saying when I say give and take? I am saying God has given you the life you really want. He has given you the future that you dream about. He has given you the fullness of freedom from everything that you don't want to hold you back in life, to step into the fullness of the calling and the purpose for which you were created for in the first place. But guess what? You have to take it. You have to take it. And the guiding principle behind this is this idea. It's God's revelation of giving requires our participation in taking. God's revelation of giving requires our participation in taking. So when God gives you something, it's gonna require something out of you. And this is what confused the people of God in Deuteronomy. Because God said, look, I've given you this land. Isn't that amazing? This land flowing with milk and honey is awesome. Unlimited resources, so much space. Isn't it great? And when the Israelites looked at the land, guess what they saw? A lot of people groups who were more powerful and stronger and who were already living in their land. And God goes, see, I've given it to you. And they're like, no, you didn't. There's, there's people already, and you didn't give me that. Like, and God's like, well, what I've given you with my word, you have to take with your faith. What I've given you by my promise, the Lord our God is ever faithful, true to his promises, you have to gain access to by faith. What is faith? Saying, I believe in Jesus, that's only the beginning. Faith is doing. Faith is participating in the story of God with your life. And when you, by faith, take a step of participation, you step into the fullness of what God has already given you. But the reason why you and I stay where we're standing now in our relationship with Jesus and never see the fullness of the life that he died for us to live is because there are enemies in your way. There are many different enemies all over this room that are stopping so many of you in so many different areas from stepping into the fullness of life. Jesus died for you to live. But the common enemy who we're going to talk about is Satan, the devil, the evil one. The Bible has a lot of names for him, and I don't have time to go into a full theological lesson of who he is, where he came from, and what his purposes are. But if you step into a relationship with Jesus, you are not entering into a playground. You are entering into a battleground where you will have to fight step by step to take ground that God has already given you. And I'll tell you this, your relationship with God is give and take. What he has given you, you have to take. Guess what? Your relationship with the enemy is give and take as well. Whatever you give him, he will take from you. If you give the devil an inch of ground in your life, in your thoughts, in your relationships, he will take it. It will be gone. And for a lot of you, that's exactly what has become the space between where you are right now 
and where you really want to be in your relationship with God. You've been giving ground to the enemy for so long that taking the fullness of the life Jesus created you for looks impossible tonight. And I want you to know it's not impossible. And I want you to know that you can take it back. You can. Why why do I know that? Because I want to make you feel better right now? No. Do you know what happens? I don't know whether to say bless you or go away hiccups. Like that's a weird moment just for me to be in. And my wife has ridiculously loud hiccups. So some of y'all have been cursed with that. Please, let's hope that that gene dies with her. But uh, I'm like, don't let my daughter get hiccups like that. But bless you hiccups. If you need water, I'm sure a volunteer will get it for you. Be awesome. Get Sprite. I heard like holding your breath, breathing. You're hating this. Every second of this. I'll stop. Um, We haven't been taking what God has given. We've been giving ground to the enemy. Oh, oh, this is what I was saying. You can take back what the enemy has stolen. Did you know that the people of God get a chance to take the land in Deuteronomy 1? You know what happens? They don't take it. They shrink back in fear. They look at the land, they spy it out, and they go, they're too powerful for us. They're too much for us. We will never, ever, ever take this land. And so they wander around in the desert for 40 years. After 40 years, they end up taking the land which is amazing that God gives second chances to people who have failed again and again and again. I want somebody at TLR, Kennesaw State University to know your second chance with God is tonight. Well, I've already blown my second chance. He'll give you a fourth chance, a fifth chance, a sixth chance. How many chances does God give? As many as you need. As many as you need. His grace is enough and so sufficient. Somebody needs that tonight. But on their way into the land, this is what's so crazy about God's grace. On their way into the land, God says this in Deuteronomy. God is setting his people up for taking the land. And he says, you know what? Once you get into the land, you're gonna be tempted to go back to the gods that you used to worship. You're gonna be tempted to go back to those idols that you were worshiping before. And you know what'll happen if you worship those idols? You'll end up right back in the slavery that you started in in Egypt. That's what'll happen. And that's exactly what does happen in the Old Testament of your Bible, by the way. And then God, out of nowhere, says this in Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 29. This is unbelievable. He says, once you get in there and you blow it and you go back to your old ways, if from there, meaning far away from the land, you lose the land, go back into slavery. If from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. Oh my gosh, I hope you see this. God is saying, once you take the land and you go in there and you go back to all your old ways, and you get taken away in slavery, and you're far away from the life that you should be living, and you're far away from the land that you should be living in. Just know, when you wake up the morning after, and when you're so ashamed, and you're so broken, and you wish you never would have walked away from me, just know this, and you're expecting him to say, you can never come back, you blew it. But he says the opposite, and he says, just know, you can come back anytime you want. Anytime you want, it's yours. Our God is a God of scandalous grace. 
And the same grace that he used to tell the people of God, even though I know you're going to blow this, once you get in there, I'm gonna rescue you in the future. That same God has an even more radical message for you tonight because this is before the cross of Christ in your Bible. I'm here to tell some of you, look up here, in Jesus' name, that you are allowed to take back every inch of ground the enemy has stolen from you. I'm here to tell some of you that you can take back every inch of ground that the enemy has stolen from your family, from your family members who right now you feel like you're destined for the same future that was experienced by you in the past. No, I'm saying you can leave a legacy for your very family line where the new legacy of your family is no longer shrinking back from the life you could have had, but stepping into the fullness of potential that the freedom of Jesus can give you. I'm telling you, you can take back every inch of ground the enemy has stolen from you, from your family, from your relationships, from your mind, anytime you want because of the blood of Jesus. Our God is a God of second chances. And they got there amazing amount of second chances in the Old Testament, but his grace is even more sufficient for us now. Do you wanna take it back? That's the question. If God's relationship with you is give and take, and he's already given you Jesus, he's given you the opportunity for a purpose on mission for his glory, he's given you an opportunity for a relationship with your heavenly father, then I would say you need to start taking it. But for those of us in the room who have given so much ground to the enemy and have watched him take and take and take, let's stop right now and say, I wanna take it all back. I want to do this. You were made for more than you're living in and living for right now. You are. And just recently, like just in the last year, I've gotten to taste the life I think God has been dreaming about for me for a long time. And I can honestly look you in the eyes and say, you want this. This world has nothing to offer you. There is nothing that the party scene, there is nothing that the money scene, there is nothing that the status scene can ultimately deliver you that the love and purpose of Jesus can fill you with. There is a God-sized hole in your soul that was only meant for a relationship with him and the purpose of his life to fill in you. And that's why the alcohol doesn't work. That's why pornography doesn't work. That's why the relationship with him or her doesn't work. That's why the habit doesn't work. That's why all all of the likes in the world don't work because you're filling a bottomless hole with something that was meant to be filled by God and God alone. And when you start letting God fill it, you are going to look at your life and go, I just want more of that. I just want more of you. I don't care about what everybody else has fallen into. I wanna take you at your word. But if you're gonna do that, you have to take back what the enemy has stolen and it will be so difficult. I can't lie to you. This will be the most difficult thing you ever do. Taking back ground from the enemy is not easy. I'm gonna show you in the next few minutes how to do it, but I'm warning you when you leave this place, this is not easy. If you really want the kind of life I'm talking about, if your heart's about to beat out of your chest right now because you're going, whatever he's saying, that's the kind of life, I'm like, I don't believe that that's even possible for me, but I wanna, what does that look like? 
I got three things that you need to give and take if you wanna take back what the enemy has stolen and step into the life Jesus died for you to live that I get from the book of Deuteronomy of all places, by the way. Isn't that amazing? The word of God, Bible's not boring. If you think the Bible's boring, it's, you're boring. Number one is this. Number one, we gotta give and take. Give up indifference, take up intensity. Give up indifference, take up intensity. You and I don't have a strong concept for war. Unless you have a family member who's in the armed forces, you probably have a stronger concept for what that's like than most other people in this room, but we don't. We're in 2016 America. The extent of war in our lives is pretty much Donald versus Hillary. It's like, whoa, violent. Oh, this is crazy. Uh, Y'all just pray for our nation right now. Let's just pray. (laughs) Seriously, I almost stopped right there. and was like, God, I'm being serious. Like, Um, But we don't have a strong context for war like the people of God had in the Old Testament. Our concept of war is mostly like the card game war. Anybody ever played war, like the card game where you're just like throwing random cards? It's the most stupid game ever. No skill at all involved. Just whoever has whatever cards, we're just gonna keep throwing cards. Oh, look, I have a king, you have a jack. I'll take that from you. Oh, look, I have a six, you have a 10. You take that from me. This is so fun. This is so pointless. That's how a lot of you go about your battle against the enemy. Oh, I wonder how I'm going to feel today. Oh, look, I beat the enemy today because I felt like having a quiet time. Oh, I wonder how I'm going to feel today. Uh, He kind of took that one from me. Your war looks a lot like a card game with a friend and not like a battleground against someone who wants to steal and kill and destroy you. You cannot be indifferent toward the enemy and take back ground from him. You have to have an intensity that looks like a fight and looks like a war because it is. And some of you are sitting there going, I don't know why the devil just keeps keeps after me and I don't know why I can't kick this habit. I don't know why I keep going back to this. I don't know why, I don't know why. I'll tell you why. You're not fighting. That's why. A fight requires intensity, not indifference. You don't go into a battle for your life going, oh, we'll just see what happens once I get there. You go into it with a mindset and a mentality that says, I am here to destroy every ounce of footholds you have taken in my mind, in my heart, and in my relationships, and I'm coming after you. You know when the people of God went into the land, the, the land of Canaan, I talked about all those people groups that were stronger than them. You know what God said to do to them? You can read this in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And actually a lot of people have a problem with the Bible when they read this because you're like, whoa, God is getting really violent. Yes, he is. He says, when you go into the land, wipe them out. And while you're at it, destroy their gods too. I don't care if they're made of gold. I don't care if they're valuable. Destroy everything and everyone on your way in. Why does God do that? Because he knows if you leave even this much space, For the enemy to pollute what he has placed inside of you, he will take it. And God goes, fight and destroy. You don't go into the land and go, oh, you guys just want to come be our slaves? Or, oh, you guys just want to come with us? We're just indifferent, you know. No, you go in intensity and you go into kill mode. Guys, this is called beast mode. Okay, this is where you go into full all out. I am at war and I am not allowing you to keep one thing in my life without me noticing this. This is where you have to take crazy steps that your friends are gonna call you crazy. One of those is gonna have to be with your iPhone. 
You know, back then they had idols in, the, uh, in those lands, like they would bow down to idols and it was gonna be tempting for Israel to make those idols into their gods. And that's not really a temptation for you and me. Like nobody's going back to their apartment or their dorm room tonight and just going, I really wanna bow down to that totem pole. Like I really, it's just really tempting. I just really messing with me. Like, no, no. You know where your idol factory is? On your iPhone, that's where it is. For a lot of you, some of you, it's in a different place. And you and I have to take intense steps to see victory in and through our lives. Some of you are gonna have to delete some stuff. Some of you know that you are out of control and constantly distracted and your mind is taken captive by what happens on your phone. I was talking to a friend who took all these crazy steps and just so you know, that's a big issue for me, major issue, just confess it to you, huge issue. I think it's a huge issue for all of us. But my friend was confessing like, he took all these steps with his iPhone. Like he can't download an app unless his wife puts in the password and did all this weird stuff. I was kind of making fun of him. And I was like, you need like that much observation? Like, what is your deal? He's like, listen, I, you can make fun of me all you want. He said, but I've always thought about what would life be like if Adam in the garden of Eden had just destroyed the tree when God said, don't eat from it. Remember when God said, you can eat from any tree, but just not this tree. What if Adam would have said, great, I don't need that tree. So let's throw it away. Let's burn it up. Cool, I don't, I don't need the temptation. I don't need it. Let's, let's destroy it. Cool. And, he, and I'm not here to defend that theologically. God is sovereign. God is unfolding an incredible story of redemption. But think about that. What would it be like if we approached sin in our lives the way Jesus did? If your hand caused you to sin, cut it off. If your eye caused you to sin, gouge it out. Well, we like, you know, in church today, we like to go, well, in the Greek, he doesn't actually mean, no, I think he means it would be better for you to be in heaven with one eye than hell with two eyes. He is so serious about fighting sin, but we're so indifferent. It takes an intensity. It takes a battle mode when you wake up in the morning to go, I will not allow these areas to be present in my life any longer. Idols must be met with intensity, not indifference. Don't make friends with the idols in your heart. So you gotta give up indifference, take up intensity. Number two, oh, this one's so huge, this one's so huge. You gotta give up the product and take up the process. Give up the product and take up the process. This is huge in your battle against Satan because we become so fixated on the final victory over the enemy that we miss out on the fact that it is a process of taking ground from him. So I know that at the end of this message, someone is probably going to tell me on the way out, and I'd love to meet many of you, but somebody's probably gonna tell me, I needed that. I needed you to speak on that. Because people love talking about victory over Satan. That is a very popular topic. In fact, at like youth camp growing up in Panama City Beach, Florida, which is a place where you can either get real close to God or really far away. Um, but, uh, but back then, Samer and I were a part of a church where we would go to uh, summer camp in Panama City Beach, Florida, and we would get so pumped up about God, but like the most pumped up we would ever get was during this song. Uh, the song was called Sing to the King. And most of you don't even know it, but it actually, I think it may have been birthed out of uh, North Point. And uh, there was this line in Sing to the King where the girl, because every song's better with a girl singing. So Love Trey and Shinwa, they're great, by the way, but come on, like the female singer, it's like, yes, glory. And so she, said, she would sing this line. She would sing, Satan is vanquished, 
and Jesus is king. And I'll never forget, I think we were in like eighth grade and Samer stood up on a chair wearing a white armband on his cut sleeve shirt, by the way. Um, and uh, he stood up on a chair and turned around to the whole crowd and just beat his chest and was like, let's go, come on, let's go. Thought we were so cool at the time, so embarrassing now. And so we were like, man, Panama City Beach, we're gonna storm the gates of hell. This is awesome. Satan is vanquished and Jesus is king. And three weeks later, our lives looked exactly the same. For a lot of you, that's how you grew up in church. Really pumped up about victory over Satan. And then I'm further away from God three weeks later because the emotion for the final product lasts for a few moments. But the process of faithfulness is supposed to go over time. It's okay to be a work in progress. Your battle is going to be ongoing until you stand before God. And so a lot of us want to celebrate the fact that I got full victory over the enemy right now. And it's, it's all, I'm just free from everything. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm a messed up person in need of Jesus to lead me today in taking the ground that he's already given me. That's what I am. That's who you are. I want to write this down. Here's what I'm trying to say. Our world loves the finished product. Our God loves the work in progress. Our world loves the finished product. We love, this is final. This is it. This is who you want to be. This is what you want to look. We love when it's all done, when it's all pretty, when it's all neat. But our God is not a God of just done. It's all over. He is a God of where are you right now? And what does it look like for you to take back what the enemy has stolen? Look up here today. Here, now, is a process. And sometimes the process doesn't look like progress, but you gotta get up another day and take another step with intensity and go, I'm not giving up the fight. If you don't get it all back in 15 minutes, don't panic. The enemy's been taking ground from you for 15 years. You're not gonna get it back in one song. You're not gonna get it back in one sermon. You're not gonna get it back with one church service, with one book that you read, with one small group time. It takes a habit of fighting and moving over time. It's not about the final product. It's about the process. And we need more people who are okay with the process. I wanna say this too. Sin, sin is a shortcut to the process. Did you know that? Like the deep sin issues that you have are actually wounds that are in your heart. And what sin offers you is medication for your wounds that hurt. Here's the problem with it. It feels really good for a short amount of time and then it makes the wound worse. That's what sin does. So you end up worse off than when you started. But what God does is he goes straight to your wound and says, I wanna heal this. But how many of you know that sometimes physically healing is painful? Healing takes time. Healing takes rehab. Healing takes physical therapy. Healing takes an effort over time to get back what was taken from you. And so we can't just look for quick fixes. That's what sin has to offer. It just makes it worse. We gotta look for the process and the progress over time to become the man or become the woman God is calling you to be. So we gotta give up indifference, take up intensity. We gotta give up the product, take up the process. By the way, read Joshua. When the people of God take the land, um, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's a long process for how they get into the land. There's a battle against Jericho that's really cool. There's a battle against the Amorites where the sun stands still. It's a process for them as well. So we gotta give up indifference, take up intensity. We gotta give up the product, take up the process. And lastly, probably best of all, we gotta give up the victim and take up the victory. Give up the victim, take up 
the victory. I think, everybody look up here. I think the enemy's chief strategy to keep you away from the life God has for you is hopelessness. Hopelessness. He wants you to give up hope that you could ever get there. Because once he has you believing that you're a victim of everything that's happened to you, he's got you trapped and stuck for good. And so what I wanna do as I close is just say, you're not a victim of everything you've done and everything that's happened to you. You're not helpless on the ground, hoping that one day you're able to beat the enemy. You've actually already been given victory in Jesus' name. This is the last thing that the enemy wants you to know tonight. Is you know in your battle against him that you're not fighting for victory, you're fighting from victory. You're not trying to earn some kind of position with God, some kind of place. You're not trying to strive to get somewhere, but you've actually already been given the victory because when Jesus said it is finished on that cross and that grave was empty on a Sunday, your victory over sin and death and hell and Satan was paid in full, finished, done. You're no longer a victim of what you've done or what's been done to you. You are now a victor in Jesus' name and he wants you to not know that. He wants you to keep lying to yourself and to keep lying to you going, see how bad you are, see how hopeless you are, see how you're never gonna get it, see how it's all over. The last thing he wants you to realize is that you're supposed to operate from a position of identity in Christ, not to earn a position of identity in Christ. We don't earn who we are in Jesus. We've already been given it by him. You are a son, you are a daughter. And when the fight calls, you don't fight to earn the fact that you're a son or a daughter. You fight because you are a son and because you are a daughter. That is who you are. You are in the family of God. And so this fight is no longer to earn a title. It's because you've been given a title. And when you operate from that identity, it gives you a knowledge of, hey, Satan, you've been taken from me for so long and I've given it to you up until now, but I just now realized that I was the one who gave you all of that ground. But because of Jesus, I'm also the one who can take it all back. And so by faith in him, I'm taking steps with intensity to cut you off from my life. And I'm accepting that this is gonna be a long process, but you know what? I'm down for the long process because it's already been finished and completed in Jesus' name. And when I stand before God, I will see the final product of my fight, which will be what? Eternal life in God and with God. So we're gonna proclaim a powerful song in this moment. And as we go into this, I just have to solidify the fact that it's not too late and you're not too far. However much ground you've given, you can take it all back. And as we sing, I would love it if praise would rise in this place. You know, I'm, this is the one night I'm with you. I, I get to go back 
to Auburn to an incredible wife and church and life. And I just wanted to leave you with some kind of lasting impression and some kind of picture in your mind that says, do not give up hope. Jesus can bring the victory to you. Please don't let this night go by without claiming it right where you are tonight. Let's not just let this song go over our heads. Let's participate by taking what God has already given us and go after him with an intensity. Can we stand up all over this room? Let's go ahead and stand up right now. I want to pray for you. The band's going to come up here. And we'll sing. If everybody would, close your eyes all over this place. So if you're here tonight and you know that the enemy has taken ground from you and you want to stop giving it away, but to start taking it all back by faith. If this is you tonight, I wanna pray for you individually and I want you to go ahead and take a step of faith and know that you're gonna have to participate. If that's you tonight, I just, I just wanna pray for you. Would you just lift your hand, even ever so slightly to say, that's me, I'm in the fight. I'm, I need you to, I, need, I, want, I want that fullness of life that Jesus died for me to live. Would you just claim that? Father God, I pray for these hands raised to heaven. I pray for these lives and these stories and these families that you're moving in right now. I pray in Jesus' name that they come to realize and take hold of the life that you died for them to live. Don't let us shrink back in fear like the people of God did in, in Deuteronomy, but let us by faith grab on to the life you've called us to live. I pray for their future marriages, for their future families that because of the decisions that they're making in this season of their life, that they would build their life on knowing you and the fight to know you. We give it all to you, God. We sing to you now. We give you this time. We give you our hearts. We give you our lives. Take our praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's sing. Come on.